Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Left Page. Yeah, we're here again, another day, another text, another new news about our government. <laughs> of, course, of course, Yeah. So, first things first, before we dive into uh, a short, albeit incredibly interesting read today, I have been retweeting it a lot over the past couple of days, Yeah. but basically The Intercept has released several... Well, text messages and exchanges between uh, many of the important figures in the government today. Yeah. Uh, one of which is, well, all of which are very notable. But the main one is Sergio Moro, which is, he's uh, Minister of Justice right yeah. now, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. And, well, it just becomes clearer and clearer how he's always been a corrupt cunt. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. basically... Lots of different articulations between him and the uh, general attorney for the condemnation of... Between the prosecutor in the case of the condemnation of Lula. So it's getting more and more clear, which what we already knew that it was a political arrest. Yeah. It's becoming more and more evident how his arrangement with the current government has been predetermined for quite a while. How basically... A large part of Operation Car Wash has been, well, a, a sham, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. It's just a sort of, you know, circus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, ch definitely check out the, the Intercept story. They've been releasing lots of different information. And it's quite astonishing how incompetent they are at not keeping the information secure. Yeah. So, hooray for that. Yeah. <laughs> and go support and take a look at the Intercept there. The um, Glenn Greenwald, for yeah. example, he's been. Uh, <laughs> I was joking about that Glenn Greenwald will be deported to Mars because first, first with the United States and now with Brazil, like. <laughs> yeah, no, lots of people like yeah, we, him. And so, yeah, it's we quite need to, scary. We, we need to love him. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. like definitely, he's someone who's been doing a great like, job. Yeah, a great, great job recently, yeah. and especially with this, it's it's very notable and very important. Yeah. So definitely take a look at that. I'll put the link on the show notes. So that's the shocking news <laughs> yeah. from Brazil. I say shocking because it's not really surprising. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 there's been just, just so much going yeah, on. Yeah, just, just confirming the truth is, is shocking. But it's really funny because people tend to go like, oh my God, but this, these people are futurologists. They know everything that is going to happen. No, we, we don't know what is going to happen. We just knew what was happening in front of our eyes. Yeah. And that's basically it. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. We we didn't trust a prosecutor w when Moro was one that basically would circumvent the law in order to serve his own very, very right-wing interests. Yeah. And we didn't think he was a national hero. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's not really surprising <laughs> that he was always been a son of a bitch and fucking corrupt. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, just... Uh, just it's just becoming clear. Yeah, it's just and, the basics. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people are coming denying it and spreading misinformation. Yeah. So, you know, nothing new under the sun. But yeah. it's, yeah, it's worth taking a look at this and seeing just how deep it all goes. Yeah. Especially here where, thanks to their incompetence, we can really see how far it really goes. Yeah. So th that's that's very good. Yeah, that's just the the completely relevant disclaimer that we need to do because as a as a show and as people from the left we 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 just 
we can't stress enough the importance of the crimes that are being committed here, the crimes that Bolsonaro already does, that his family did, the the relations with the militia. It's it's all rotten, and and we already knew it. So yeah. yeah. And like the funny thing is, this happens everywhere else. Yeah. It's not like it's exceptional. Yeah, here. exactly. Like, there's a lot of things no, no, it says. No, our people may be, uh, at least the ones doing it here, may be more incompetent. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it doesn't happen everywhere else. So, you know. Yeah. Point for the anarchists. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think that's that's it for yeah. now. Yeah. But, yeah, keep, definitely keep an eye out on The Intercept for the next couple of days and weeks. So, there. Bruno, do you want to introduce what you've chosen for us today, which is very, very good and interesting? So, I'm really excited about this because me as a... Uh, me. <laughs> I, as a student of of literature and, and linguistics in general, it's really a, a sensation of fresh air when we, when we discover a, a new author and a good author that talks about things that are relevant, because uh, as I was saying earlier, the, the person, the, the other that we're going to talk about, he's indeed a, a Brazilian in, in, the, in the sense of he uses his, politi his political and artistical freedom to talk about Brazil. As we already did an episode about Machado de Assis, I feel that we were really waiting for someone that can bring the reality being a, a black person in, in Brazil, of being a person that comes from the lower classes that has little to no money sometimes. and But at the same time, uh, I think that the, the future of this order is the same future as Machado that came from the, from the favelas, came from a really bad background in, in, a, in a way of being marginalized and became a universal father, became a universal author. So we're talking about Giovanni Martins. He's 28, 29, I think. And this is, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it's his first book. It's a book with just short stories. And it's already been published by Companhia das Letras, which is one of the biggest publishers here in Brazil. Yeah. And it's already been read by the most important critics, the literature critics here in Brazil. But basically, yeah, I think that the, the introduction that, that I made is, is actually what he tends to say and what we as, as readers want to see. Like, he has this background, he comes from the favela, he was and uh, he wasn't not much anymore, but he was marginalized all his life, but what he has to say is universal, and, and that's what we want. We, we don't want to talk about his literature as black literature, or as poor literature in the, in the sense of he's a poor person that writes. No, we want to talk about him as literature, mm -hmm. and that's it. So, the short story that... Uh, I don't know if you want to talk anything um, else. Yeah, I think something uh, is worth mentioning because I was looking at the, the back of the book. The collection is called The Sun in Our Heads. Yeah. And it's a reference to the sun of Rio. Yeah. Which is blazing, yeah. <laughs> burning sun. It's always hotter down there. Yeah. And 
it's something that Bruno was mentioning to me is that the short story and the book itself feels very Brazilian. Yeah. In the sense of the social, the cultural space, and it does feel close. Yeah. And it's so recent, it's so fresh, and it's like it's literature. Yeah. It, it is. It is something so new, and evidently not. Yeah. It's definitely something as old as. It's as new as it is old. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's it, really exciting because mm -hmm. it's it's fresh literature and good fresh literature just happening before our eyes. And yeah, it's it's breathtaking. It's an amazing feeling. Yeah. And it, it is really endearing to see that it's getting the value it deserves. Yeah. Like Compañía das Letras, it's the publisher here that uh, pretty much publishes everything from Penguin Books. Yeah. So it's a lot. Yeah. It also publishes a number of different classics and works. Yeah. Like it publishes Thomas Mann. Yeah. It publishes... The Iliad, The Odyssey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, you name it. it. It is really one of the largest ones in Brazil. Yeah. And for him to be already getting this sort of, well... Uh, to be seen already like that, yeah. to be seen of importance, and you clearly see it through the text. Like I think it is unlikely that any of our readers would be able to find it in English, especially oh, no. because Actually, it's so I oh. think that it, that it, there there is already a, a, a translation to, really? to English. Yes. Wow, that's great. Yeah, maybe we can find it. Yeah, uh, I'll definitely put in the show notes if we can find it as well because yeah. it's. It's definitely unique yeah. in a very beautiful sense. Yeah. And I'll just tell the name of the story before we move on. But we'll be dealing with a very short, short story yeah. called The Blind Man. Yeah. And it is... Well, I'll, I'll leave it to Bruno. Take, take it away. Yeah, so I'm not sure... I'm really not sure how to start because I just wanted to, to say the first phrase. I, I, I think you can give me a little bit of help to translate, but... Old Matthias was born blind. He never saw the the sea, guns, or women in bikinis. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that it's so good that I would lo love to read the entire story, but I think that if I do that, I will be uh, addicted to, <laughs> to rereading it again. So I think we should talk more about the, the sense that we that we got about the text and and everything mm -hmm. but i don't know even where to start because as i was talking to frank earlier it's a story about someone that is that was born blind and i was talking about how it's a story about double marginali uh, marginalization because as the first phrase as as you read the first phrase you already have that notion that how is the how is it the experience of someone that never saw the basic things, the basic images, and, and, and in a, it's even deeper because in a, in a literary perspective, in a linguistics perspective, the notion of the image that that is evoked when you talk about something, when you talk about the sea, when you talk about women, <laughs> anything, it's really, it's really. It's basically the way we think about things. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's the it's the basic notion of language because we form the images in our heads yeah. as we read. Mm -hmm. 
And in the case of a blind man, and I'm I'm no authority to 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 affirm anything about this, but as the text reads, the life of a blind man is about everything but these images. Yeah, is about feeling, is about tasting, is about smelling, and it's the the image of. If I'm not mistaken, there is actually. A short story from Dostoevsky that is called The Blind Man as well. Mm. But uh, <laughs> I tend to, and uh, it's it's really influenced because <laughs> I'm Brazilian, but I think that it's even deeper here in, in, in Giovanni Martin's work because it's basically talking about some someone that doesn't experience life the same way that anyone experiences it. At the same time that he does, he's also marginalized from society as as a whole. So he's mm -hmm. marginalized in the subjective analysis of things. He mm -hmm. from the beginning sees the sees the world in a different manner than mm -hmm. than us, and at the same time he's marginalized from the the general society in the in the sense of the society that makes the rules and play and plays yeah. the game <laughs> his his experience isn't valid yeah it's it's this double marginalization as you put it both from a so socioeconomical point of view uh, him being from the favelas and yeah. being a poor man and the fact that he has this disability he cannot see yeah and as he tells a part of his story and i think that's something interesting about the short story as well Because it doesn't tell the entirety of his life. Yeah. It tells, like, how his, where his, some of his earlier experiences, the idea that he was born blind, and a part of them as he reaches old age, but it doesn't end. It, it sort of has a stopping point, but it doesn't conclude. Yeah. And very much the fact that he, he tells at his times when he... Because he doesn't simply... The way he makes money is he pretty much begs yeah like he says that for him there's pretty much no alternative yeah and but he doesn't stand around and beg he tells his story to various people yeah and he constantly says that he's pretty much there because that's that's all he can do yeah he cannot he isn't absorbed by society he's purposely excluded for two different reasons and it just becomes worse yeah in that regard it is It brings to light, and that's one of the aspects of universality here, it brings to light both the matter of disabilities, it, be it in Brazil, in this specific situation, or around the world, how yeah. do we, well, bring close to us people with disabilities, or yeah. do we really push them away and devalue their experiences, Yeah, like, well, institutions and society at large does, or, and beyond that, how do we deal with matters of intersectionality? How do we understand both a person with disabilities and a person of color or a person yeah. from the favelas? How do we deal with those things in unison yeah. and understanding their various degrees and differences? Yeah. So it's, it's, it, it is one of the things about the field of history, which is micro-history. Good micro-history is the idea of looking at the very minute things. Take it, for example, Carlo Ginsburg's book, cheese and the worms or yeah. cheese and the vermin i don't recall the name exactly but it's basically a minute analysis of a specific thing 
to reach wider universal conclusions and understandings. Yeah. It is the microcosm to the macrocosm. Yeah. So, and this short story does it beautifully. Yeah. Because it really touches on these sensitive spots yeah. to society. <laughs> exactly. Spots that are, well, uh, at the end of the day, they're ignored. Yeah. They're put aside. They're marginalized. So, and in such short moments and in such brief happenings not, not much happens in the story yeah and yet it carries immense value yeah it really does when you read something uh, when he's talking about not not being accepted and having nothing that he can do or nowhere to go being blind it's like well how <laughs> do we who are not blind for example how do we how do we understand this how, yeah what are we doing in regards to that and how do we see the situation yeah and it's brutal yeah, it's it really is. Yeah, I think the brutality is most exacerbated when we read the part that he talks about that he he actually started to talk about his history when he was begging in the bus. Mm -hmm. So people would pity him and, and actually, I don't know, give him more money or, or talk with him. And it's really brutal because he describes that after I don't know, just a month, some some a, a really short period of time of, of experience of repeating to himself his his whole life story, he actually he actually gets anxious and and, and I don't know if the word is depressed, but he actually can't handle mm -hmm. talking about his life story so many times because it, it it has so much suffering and brutality and as we are inspired by by our last episode with with coffee with conrads it's about putting a wall between people and mm -hmm. in in his case he actually has both both these gigantic walls to actually start talking with people about his experience mm -hmm. because that's the thing uh, that's the brutality of it we constructed a world that is based on our subjectivity but our subjectivity i mean there are subjectivities between people that have all their their physical integrity preserved that they don't have any any kind of any kinds of problems of diseases, of disabilities, but and where's the voice of the people who can't see, the people who can't, I don't know, that that have terrible diseases that can't breathe properly and need to to stay at home all day, like how how we how we even, and that's the thing, like it's so universal because as well, it's a problem to all of us, like mm -hmm. uh, how I don't know, I. I can't remember exactly. Uh, I remember, for example, when my my grandfather was in the terminal stages of of Alzheimer's disease, and yeah, it's you can feel the the wall between you and the person. You can feel the wall of disability and of incomprehension, and, and it's not their fault. Mm -hmm. It's our fault because we. We are actually lazy enough to not learn how to talk with with these people, how to treat these people well all of our lives. 
mm-hmm. and when we see like it's the same thing as uh, there's a moment in in Clarice's Lispector Hora da Estrela mm-hmm. which Clarice Lispector says that she had a the, the, not not Clarice but the the character had a catharsis a, a moment of higher truth mm-hmm. when she saw a blind man eating gum at the at the bus it's not the Hora da Estrela no, the I, time of the star it is the short story Love. I don't. I don't. Don't recollect. I'm pretty sure. It yeah. Is. M- m- maybe it is. Maybe it is. Yeah. But it, it is this. It, it, the simplicity of yeah, things. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And talking about walls, that's very interesting because those walls are ultimately illusory. Like they're not real walls in <laughs> yeah. a sense because like it's it's a different experience, sure. But that's like human existence. People have different experiences to others. But the fact that a specific type of experience is put away as like there's no possible contact between one and the other, it's it's ultimately silly. Yeah. Of course, in idea, in practice, it becomes yeah, it, it, horrendous. It, yeah, it is the short story love by by Clarice I, I I said it wrong. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. But it very much is the, is this matter, like because the this idea of a wall between. Uh, those with disabilities and those with not, it on the one time only serves to marginalize the the former while upholding the ideas of the latter and pretty much breaking down communication between them. Yeah. It, it, it's And this wall is fucking meaningless. There's yeah. no reason for there to be a wall there. Yeah. Those experiences need to be shared. We need to learn. Yeah. We need to learn from those disabilities. But it, that's human experience. That's human solidarity. Yeah. It is... Living together, it is this mutual help, this mutual aid, this mutual yeah. learning and understanding. Yeah. And it, it is essential that we take many, many lessons from our disabled comrades. Like, if we don't listen to them, then what are we doing? Yeah. And we are marginalizing, like, also many different other groups. Yeah. Like, there's... Of course, there are many differences, but it is it is another type of marginalization, another yeah. type of discrimination and prejudice. Yeah. And this short story really just tell them that, yeah, he's marginalized, but he has he has something to show, he has something to tell. It is very uh, noticeable in the story because he he doesn't want to simply beg; he wants to tell stories. Yeah. And his life story, uh, in a sense. Yeah. And it it, it becomes vivid, like. He wants to contribute. Yeah. I think that's what I... At least that's what I get from it. Yeah. That he... He is a part of society. Yeah, exactly. And he wants to show, like, I am a part of society. I am here. I exist. Yeah. And we need to pay attention to that. We need to listen. And we need to make these voices heard. Yeah. It is... It is an immense discussion. But these points... These are key. Yeah. It's key to to deal with the fact that there are many out there with disabilities who are having a, an astonishingly difficult time to live for pretty much the fact that our society excludes them. And just because they have disabilities, that means really nothing about them or how they should live or be yeah. treated. Yeah. It's it, it, it very much bringing back to the discussion with Coffee with Comrades. 
like no one deserves anything and at the same time we deserve everything yeah all of us yeah so it's a, let us get rid of these ideas of deserving of earning yeah none of us deserve or earn anything and yet we do yeah. everything yeah all of us every yeah. single one no matter where we yeah. are from or where, where we are or what we do we all do yeah that's it yeah that's exactly it because we only deserve things when all of us can have this mm-hmm. those things yeah, i think that's the because uh, as as i was as i was saying like at the same time that it is a disability it's just another subjectivity mm-hmm. as well yeah so <laughs> and 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 i think that's the the power of this short story when i while i was reading and rereading it it's about showing how emotional subjectivity can be we can unite ourselves with the subjectivity for example of a blind person but the the great and horrendous power of the disability of someone integrating in society because of money mm-hmm. i think that's the the most brutal thing about the short story because it's not only about having a physical and cognitive disability in the sense of not not uh, literally not seeing the world as we do mm-hmm. but i think that the most brutal part is it's even tough to put in words because it's a it's a, a sense of complete isolation because the person is as we do we don't integrate this we don't fully integrate the this kind of the, those this whole group of people that have all sorts of different disabilities but at the same time he he's already physically marginalized mm-hmm. in in uh in physically mar- marginalized in, in a in a spot of society that that doesn't get recognition doesn't get attention <laughs> and more often than anything gets political attention in a way of it gets the police there it gets the mm-hmm. repression there Mm-hmm. and and when it starts going to towards the the end of the short story it's about as well is about drugs and th- that is as well another subjectivity because it, it's about the, the short story that, that's the that's the problem and the greatness about it it, it has so many universal aspects mm-hmm. and uh, i think that there is a even a third marginalization which is for example for for rich people the 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 relation that we have with drugs being it uh, weed any of the famous drugs or drugs in a in a sense of things that that change our our capabilities our our way of uh, seeing the world so i don't know coffee sugar all of those things even then there's there's a marginalization of how you can how you can and in brazil it's completely <laughs> it's just two different worlds like 
if you are rich and in our case if you are white in brazil basically marijuana is legalized you can you can smoke if if you if the police goes in front of your house and you're smoking weed in your i don't know in your front lawn the the police will not arrest you but actually in the favelas uh, it's it looks like looks like the movie pictures because people, the police actually kill innocent people every day, mm-hmm. every day in the favelas, and they go around to to find where's the drugs, where's the, and there's there are actually kids to to incriminate person. The, the for example, there uh, in the case of Giovanni Martins, which is I don't know if this ever happened to him. I I haven't read the whole book, but one of the most common things here in Brazil is if you are a black person walking in a favela and there's an operation to find drugs, most certainly you will be framed and they will put a back, put inside your backpack, I don't know, a kilo of marijuana and say, ah, this young man was walking down the street and we just stopped and then he, ha- yeah. and he happened to have one kilo of marijuana. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, we got him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, and, and and that's it as well. I was reading another short story, and he actually it's really there's a, a a real aspect of of being being angry. Yeah, being angry, yeah, being, being uh, infuriated, yeah, being rebellious. Yeah, in being sense. rebellious, infuriated about the police because it, it's all always the same discussion it's not about the person who chooses to be a policeman it's not about it's about the institution and how the institution trains those people to become as the institution is an institution about racism an institution about marginalizing even more the people who live in the favelas those operations of pacification yeah. it's all bullshit people entering the the police entering the favela armed and yeah it is a, a fucking terrible job to be a, a policeman in the favela because the, it, there also is the militias there mm-hmm. that that are the other side of the coin of vi- of violence inside the favelas but at the same time there there's no moral discussion about it because as we <laughs> as we are seeing as we always saw the, for example one of the bolsonaro's sons is deeply rooted in the militia, but at the same time he talks about supporting the police. And, and so yeah, yeah. it's like those are not different things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like that's the sort of the point. It's yeah, like, uh, the the sort of different sides of the same thing. Yeah, and they work together at various spots. Exactly. So, yeah, it, it is and very it, much... Yeah. Um, and it all rings down in the people who live in the favela. That's exactly. basically it. Exactly. It, it is a very dark picture. Uh, it's, it is absolutely bleak. Because you very much have this case of absolute violence by cops. Because, uh, well, it's... And especially in Rio now, in recent years. Because you literally have the fucking army there. Yeah. Which is somehow even worse than the military police. Yeah. Because uh, uh, here's a little thing about Brazil, yeah. at least in major cities, at least in Sao Paulo and Rio and others. You don't have a, a you, well, you have a civilian police, a normal police force, just as bad, or again, horrible. Yeah. But worse than that, you have a military police. Yeah. Were another another legacy from the dictatorship. Yeah. But they're, they're, they're basically trained as milita- a military force. 
but they're the police. So somehow think about the police, but way worse. Yeah. And you have that, and now you have also the army in Rio. And that has been going on for a while now, about, what, two, three years now? Yeah, yeah maybe or something two, like that. Yeah. yeah, maybe two, maybe a yeah. Still, it's it's horrendous, yeah. and the violence keeps going up and up and up because that they're, they're, they're not they're not about it to solve anything. Like uh, it is funny because I I was reading and I, I I mentioned it during the Coffee with Comrades episode. Uh, Raymond Chandler's The Long Goodbye, which is a novel from uh, I will it, it, it's from this sort of detective novel from the twenties, but although this one's slightly later, but still Chandler wrote in this period the, the hard-boiled police officer, the PI, etc., etc. And at one point, the detective, Marlowe, he says that cops are always looking at the wrong things. They're always looking at the effects, but not the cause. Crime yeah. is not a, uh, a cause. Crime is a symptom. Yeah. And th- 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 this is for the fucking point. <laughs> and he says, like, cops aren't trying to... Cops are trying to cure a brain tumor by like uh, oh let, let me get the, the quote because it is worth <laughs> saying here because it is very it is notable in this sense yeah as basically that's what the police force does and that's what they always did yeah. and that's the, the the violence that they perpetrate yeah to everyone really uh, the, uh, and especially these marginalized folks it is oh here we go crime's not a disease it's a symptom the police are like a doctor who gives us aspirin to cure a brain tumor, with the difference that the police prefer to cure with a with a baton. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's the, that's the sort of violence. Yeah. That's the sort of brutality that the police perpetrate. And although there are no real cops in the short story, it is like this sort of haunting image in the background. Yeah, exactly. They are like the threat. They're the enemy in this regard because they are the biggest threat and the biggest violence to marginalized people. Yeah. They are the ones who perpetrate the greatest violence to them. And it is definitely puts into question like oh, then, then what's what are they doing? <laughs> like what it, it, it is and that's something that I have seen like from a very young age. I remember we had a class we were talking about those kits that the police used to pretty much frame uh, killings that they did yeah. as others or as other gang violence or whatever. But it didn't really sink in until like recent years. Yeah. Like how bad it goes. And like Yeah, it's generalized. Yeah, it's not like it's not the police here. It's the police in the US. It's the police in the UK. It's the police everywhere. It's the police as an inst- as a capitalist violent yeah uh, white supremacist institution exactly that's what it is yeah it perpetrates violence and death it doesn't solve anything and it doesn't really help anything yeah exactly because it's basically taking the the toxic waste that (laughs) that comes out of capitalism and you try to to even have to, to use this as as a a way of perpetrating even more capitalism so uh you have a, a general prizes in the in the poor in our case in countries that are not that rich but for example in the u.s in the in in, in cities that are in our in, uh, in neighborhoods that are are really poor 
you have basically a, a complete capitalist crisis. Like it's it's the it's one of the worst things that capitalism does. So the the po police forces actually take this as an advantage. It's like mm -hmm. oh, since the violence is generalized and the crime is generalized, it isn't even generalized. It's just people believe that it's generalized mm -hmm. because people don't have connections and don't have actual true news and true facts about what happens inside those, those poor neighborhoods and then the police goes in there kills uh, kills a bunch of people and oh but it's the crisis because these neighborhoods are so violent and we can we can't do anything we just went down there and did our job <laughs> uh, yeah, as if it is a job that one yeah. can do to perpetrate massacres like that. Exactly. So it's just like it's capitalism being like a, a Ouroboros of of shit because <laughs> it actually takes its prices and transforms in motives to reaffirm capitalism. It's like oh, of course. Yeah, it's 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 circular in a way that it's really hard in any way to 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 end this mm -hmm. and, and one of the perfect ways to end this is it's like in literature for example like we happen to know about these ridiculous things because the people who live in these neighborhoods are fucking tired of the police yeah we all know this the people are tired of police and militias and as we said police and militias fundamentally here in brazil are basically the same thing yeah <laughs> and these people are telling as they have always been telling their stories yeah this is something that has always happened yeah we just need to keep our eyes out we need to pay attention we need yeah. to listen yeah. we need to look for and listen like of course <laughs> in this concept we are talking about it but at the end of the day we're not the ones talking about it yeah and we shouldn't be the ones talking about it exactly they should yeah that's the point the point is that they theirs are the voices that need to be heard theirs are the voices that need to ring loud yeah because they're the ones that experiences this firsthand on their flesh and blood yeah they're yeah, the right. ones who, yeah. who bear the mark of this brutal capitalism they're the ones who bear this absolute marginalization and to to listen to these voices to give them the place for them to speak it. Yeah. Not to simply say what they should be doing. Is that old speech or no? Be, to, to lecture to the masses. No, that's nonsense. Yeah. We need to listen. Yeah. To each other and especially to them. Yeah. They're the ones who experience this. They know this firsthand. They are the majority of the people exactly. numer in numerically as well. Exactly. <laughs> They're the ones who feel it. They know this. Yeah. They don't need to be taught this. Yeah. But they need to have their voices heard. Yeah. <laughs> that's that that's sort of the point. And and with a work like this, it's it's essential. It's essential to Listen to these voices, to listen to voices like Giovanni Martins and many, many others. I. Yeah, it's simply something that. It's a work that we all must do. Yeah. We must listen to these voices. Yeah. To disabled comrades, to people of color, to indigenous people. Like, sure, we, we will talk and we will speak, 
but there are many many more occasions where we need to listen yeah we need to take a step back and listen to the others and their experiences so that we can fundamentally understand and exchange their own feelings and experiences yeah to understand what they went and are going through each and every single fucking day yeah it's it's this sharing it is this mutual understanding Exactly. And of course, it's not always going to be the same because these experiences vary wildly. Yeah. But that's that's sort of the point. Yeah. If we don't understand or make the most of ourselves to understand these other efforts, then we can never work really together. Yeah. Exactly. Then we can never really understand each other as human beings. Yeah. No matter where we are from, no matter what we do, no matter who we are, we're all fundamentally human beings and <sighs> need to listen to each other. Yeah. We need to talk. Yeah. And we won't always be able to talk with everyone. And there will be those that will not ever fucking listen. But one of the steps is talking and one of the steps is listening. Even if it won't always work and it won't work everywhere. But to listen to these people, to listen to these comrades, it's it's essential. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I don't know how many... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. You, you want to go? But I, yeah, I think I, I just wanted to add that as you we were talking about police and militias, that's why it was always so blatantly obvious to us that Bolsonaro and all these right wing people were always fucked up and always, uh, always to their troughs uh, <laughs> under shit because we we always knew we 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 always heard we since we studied in school we always know the the tactics and the ways of manipulation and everything in stories like these like the the police brutality all those things the the uh, fake fake evidence to to judge people you want something more allegorical than as the same way that people that that the police makes fake uh, evidence to incriminate black people and poor people that the our actual uh, our the present moment minister of justice would would do everything and anything to to incriminate people without the 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 right evidence without the it's all we always knew it is all it is all political it, it is all uh um just a uh it's a way of thinking about a country in the sense of uh of uh empresa yeah a company yeah it's thinking about a country in the sense of a company that's basically it, because as we know, Bolsonaro's son is with the militia. So what be what's better to do with the 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 country than to perpetrate the the militia power and the selling of weapons and of ammunition? It, it's just a company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's that's the point. And, and when we go back, like Marielle Franco, like. She yeah. was an LGBT black congresswoman. Yeah. It's no and coincidence. And a as well. Yeah, it's no coincidence that she was assassinated. Yeah, exactly. Like, that, that's the whole point. Yeah. That is the point. Like, when you look at the very... The news, the days after Bolsonaro won, 
the fucking spike in fascist violence, yeah, which was bloody absurd, very similar to the U.S. when you think about it, yeah. So you know, but it, it is it's these things. It's this sort of fascistic violence, and especially against these minorities, which aren't really minorities, but these <laughs> marginalized people. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, it is. It is brutal. And stories like the ones that we talked about a bit today, they're they're essential in understanding the ways our world, our capitalist world operates. Yeah. And how we can think outside and beyond it. Yeah. I just want to make a, a, just say a little quote from Bob Marley about everything that we read and talked about today. So... Until the philosophy which hold one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned, then everywhere is war. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's something, sort of no, uh, communists and socialists are going to bring in class war. No, class war happens every day. Yeah. You, yeah. you don't escape it. It's yeah. always been a thing. I, I, I always see, like, people... Oh no, because in leftist countries people die of starvation and you have holodomor in Ukraine, for example. There there are 10 holodomors a year because of capitalism. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like, it's not a comparison. Yeah. It's not a comparison. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's that was a discussion. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? No, I no. Think, I, I think yeah. it was good and I think it was fun. And, yeah. And really too. important one. Yeah. And a heavy one as well. Yeah. We're, we're in good themes recently. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Talking about violence and war and yeah. brutality. <laughs> it, it, it is a testament to our times. And it yeah. Is, it is essential. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, anything, it's inevitable, yeah. Anything else you want to add? Yeah, no. Well, then. That said, thank you very much for listening, thank everyone. You. Yeah. you can find us and please... If you can help us a bit on Patreon, yeah, we will make uh, the Patreon content for May shortly. Yeah, it's been a bit hectic with the end of the semester because uh, in Brazil the semester ends at the end of June. Mostly, it it varies, especially in university, but it's it's not over yet. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we're we're getting there. We're getting yeah. there. We will we'll have it out eventually. But if you can, please check us out at patreon.com forward slash the left page or left page, something like that. Uh, we're also both on pay- on uh, Twitter. And I am at KGB Frank and Bruno is at... I am at San Giorgio Bruno. That is S-A-N-G-I-O-R-G-I-O Bruno. And there's also the left page Twitter account at left page pod. Where I usually, I've been retweeting lots of different news on Brazil. Yeah. And other stuff from our fellow podcaster friends. So definitely check those out. And I'm, I'm constantly posting about these recent news and talking about them and pointing out to other close friends of mine who I know have good analysis and good work doing so far. So all that said oh one last thing please leave us itunes reviews yeah it's always fun to read them at the start and it's always happy and yeah yeah actually i was going to say if anyone of patreon of the poetry club wants us to read like a specific poem and you can always leave a comment in itunes reveals or or even i don't i think in patreon is yeah you can leave it on patreon or just messages or 
on Twitter. Yeah, feel free. E- yeah. And either of our accounts or the left page one DMs are open, so feel yeah. free to yeah, that's message it. us to our to your heart's content. Yeah, yeah. Uh, within reason, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening, everyone. And we will talk to you soon enough. Yeah, till the next one. É um dia de real grandeza todo azul Um mar turquesa lastambu enchendo os olhos E um sol de torrar os miolos Quando pinta em Copacabana Caravana do Arará Do Caxangá, da Chatuba A caravana do Irajá O comboio da Penha Não há barreira que retém esses estranhos Suburbanos tipo muçulmanos Do jacarezinho A caminho do Jardim de Alá É o bicho, é o buchicho Charanga diz que malocam seus facões e adagas Em sungas estufadas e calções fornes É, diz que eles têm picas enormes E seus sacos são granadas lá das quebradas da maré Com negros torços nos deixam em polvorosa A gente ordeira e virtuosa que apela Pra polícia despachar de volta o populacho Pra favela ou pra benguela ou pra guiné Deve ser do sol Que bate na moleira o sol Que estoura as veias o suor Que embaça os olhos e a razão E essa zoeira dentro da prisão Criolos empilhados no porão De caravelas no alto Bater, tem que matar em grossa gritaria Filha do medo, a raiva é mãe da covardia Ou oh, doido sou eu que escuto vozes Não há gente tão insana Nem caravana do Arara Não há, não há Sol, a culpa deve ser do sol Que bate na moleira o sol Que estoura as veias o suor Passa os olhos e a razão E essa zoeira dentro da prisão Crioulos empilhados no porão De caravelas no alto mar ah, Tem que bater, tem que matar em grossa gritaria Filha do medo, a raiva é mãe da covardia Ou doido sou eu que escuto vozes Não há gente tão insana Nem caravana, nem caravana Nem caravana, para